0: back to another edition of the Dog and Duck Show. We are on Real Dog 4th and Inches Network and it is a great day to get back to talking about Husky football. We'll be covering today the Husky spring game, some of the post spring transfer portal fallout and uh, what we make of this uh, Husky roster moving into the fall. But with me as always is my co-host, the Duck in the Equation, Mark Schmorr. Mark, how are you doing, my friend?
1: I'm uh, I'm doing great, Warren. Doing great. Uh, saw a picture of the uh, the Husky uh, spring preview attendance, and uh, you know I think I could pick you out of the crowd. I think there were that few people there. So fantastic day for a Duck fan to to see that after after the Ducks brought forty thousand into their spring game.
0: Well, I appreciate you just getting right into it. And uh, yeah, we are going to talk about the spring game. Excited to have Mike Martin joining us later in the show to do a deep dive on the Huskies as we nerd out. Uh, Mark, you'll be jumping off to deal with some family issues for that portion of the show. But yes, absolutely. Let's get into it. The spring game uh, reviews coming later, but Overall, it did turn out to be a beautiful day. The forecast was showing rain in the morning. Maybe that discouraged a few folks from turning out for the game. But um, the attendance was less than 5,000 people, which uh, certainly falls way below any expectations that, uh, that Husky fans had for this game. Certainly way below... Uh, what Oregon was able to produce in Eugene at the game, but uh, there was some there was some good moments throughout the day, and uh, exciting to see some progress taking place on this uh, this new and improved Husky roster.
1: Yeah, I you said the attendance was under five thousand. From what I could see, Warren, it was about four thousand under five thousand. <laughs>
0: You know, uh, that it, the stadium is so big that when, <laughs> when you see just like one section, you're like, oh, yeah, that's pretty pathetic. But there were a lot of um, kind of the fan sections that were more full than what was in the main stadium. So again, maybe it was 3,000. I don't know. It, it was not impressive from a numerical standpoint. But... It was fun to get out there. And, um, you know, it, I had forgotten how fun that can be to just to be able to be down that, cl- that close to the players, you know, and even as the, the, the practices were, were happening, I was moving along the sidelines with the, the team and just kind of getting a, uh, an up close view, trying to get a lot of pictures and video, uh, for real dog. And, um, it was just really fun. And the weather was great. There was a lot of enjoyment. And, and and the other fun thing, too, about these types of things is just talking to fellow Husky fans yeah. and building relationships, finding out. You know, I ended up talking to a guy that's related to the new Husky wide receiver coach, uh, Coach Shepard. And he was telling me a little bit of some of the, their private uh, conversations, some of the things that he's excited about. So it was, it was a good time. But um, we'll get more into the spring game later in the show. As far as other Husky news goes, uh, as we all expected, after the spring, we knew that there was going to be some departures into the transfer portal. Uh, thus far, as of Tuesday afternoon, we know that uh, four-star defensive back Jacoby Covington has entered into the transfer portal. Uh, that hurts. We, I think we, uh, as Husky fans, thought that he was a potential starter, potentially a guy to really carry the mantle
1: mm-hmm. for
0: Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon. Uh, really one of our, our most highly ra- ranked recruits in that room coming into the spring. And um, I I don't know if this should come as a surprise or not, but uh, really just hours after him entering the transfer portal, rumors began to spread that uh, he was headed to USC. And um, he he just announced on Twitter that he's got a visit to the Trojans on Thursday. Um, So just based on some of the things that we're hearing about the kind of money that the trojans are throwing around right now to get top players to uh, come to their program i i would not be surprised if that was a part of the allure for jacoby covington uh any, mark any thoughts about that you guys lost a significant uh player to the trojans and and troy die as well
1: travis die yeah travis, i don't uh, know and I haven't really heard anything specifically about what it was, you know, Travis Dye is from Southern California. So, um, I tend to think that that factors into a decision. He was, you know, uh, spent his whole career playing for the Cristobal grouping of guys. So maybe for him, a fresh start somewhere else just kind of made sense. So I, I think, uh, USC certainly seems to be the school that's cashing in on this the most in terms of the interconference, uh, you know, transfers. I mean, they're getting a lot of guys uh, from other schools in the PAC12. And uh, that's not a huge surprise. Lincoln Riley, you know, was a wildly successful coach at Oklahoma, and I think the expectations are is that he's going to be wildly successful at USC. And that's, that's tough for uh, first-year coaches, even at Oregon and Washington, to have to kind of, you know, uh, do battle with. is convincing a guy to, and especially, you know, in Washington coming off a down season, you're trying to convince them right. to stay there and, and keep going. Where, uh, whereas there's all this momentum behind USC, even though USC had a lousy season last year as well. Uh, you've got the, you know, the prestige in the Yeah, uh, I mean, I think
0: R- Lincoln Riley brings a level of buzz that neither Dan Lanning or Kalen DeBoer does. And, and rightfully so. He's coached Heisman Trophy winners and, uh, you know, a perennial top five or six program for the last several years. You mentioned cashing in just as a footnote. Uh, the One of the big stories of the week is the the rumor that, Uh, star wide receiver Jordan Addison out of Pitt is also slated to head to USC, uh, joining really an absolutely stacked wide receiver room there with former Husky uh, star wide receiver Terrell Bynum, Mario Williams, now Addison joining that squad. And the rumor is, is that he's going to be getting Somewhere between two to three million dollars to play for this USC Trojan team next year. So there's no doubt about it. USC is making moves in this NIL era, and uh, that's just the way that they're going to operate until things change. Uh, Separately, uh, another player to enter the transfer portal is three star. Uh, Lufkin, Texas, running back Caleb Berry. I think we all kind of saw this coming. The Huskies had stockpiled a number of large uh, physical running backs that uh, really were kind of log jammed behind Richard Newton and uh, Kamari Pleasant Sean McGrew last year. Uh, Caleb Berry, I think, just is a victim of really – not being able to do anything to distinguish himself uh, on this roster, and it's clear to me that that what Kalen DeBoer is looking for in his running backs are guys with more versatility, shifty guys, ball catching guys, and he just didn't fit that mold. So not a big surprise that Barry has entered the transfer portal. Uh, and then Mark, you know, as this being the dog and duck show. We didn't really get a chance to talk about it last week, but uh, UW picked up former Oregon center Frank
1: Kipnang. Am I saying that right? Yes. Uh, I have no idea if you're saying that right, but, but, but yes, they did. Uh, so, you know, six
0: foot 11 center, played all 35 games, started five as a sophomore. I think his best game, he scored 17 points. Does Oregon care? like does that make does that make any difference to oregon's fans at all
1: no i mean he was probably the fifth best starter you know uh and i think uh dana altman dana altman has been making a living off the transfer portal long before anybody else i mean i think he's like the the godfather of the transfer portal and uh regularly you know has four guys in the starting lineup that transferred in from other schools and so i think the expectation is is he's gonna go out and, and find someone else and uh, and there's there could have been some writing on the wall with Kepning where were some other guys vying for his his playing time that uh, that maybe he felt like he needed a change of scenery but like uh, th- this didn't make many waves in the Oregon basketball circles
0: yeah and I, I mean I think basketball may be part of it for him it sounds like also his educational aspirations um, made it a better fit for him to move to UW with his computer engineering uh, you know, goals. Yeah. But in addition to that, they pick up, the Huskies pick up uh, a transfer from Fresno State, seven foot one center, Braxton Mia. Uh, Braxton was uh, the backup behind an uh, all-MWC uh, center this year, so he didn't get a lot of minutes. But he's got four years left uh, to play three for the dogs, and um, that was that was a, a bit of a consolation prize after losing out on uh, Utah Valley Center uh, Fardaz Amik, uh after he went to Texas Tech, and also the Huskies losing uh, losing Emmett Matthews back to the transfer portal after getting him from West Virginia. He's actually now going back to West Virginia again. So kind of a a boomerang effect for that hometown dog. Uh, So I I would say in the, in the, you know, the, the stat ledger right there, uh, the Huskies lost overall, but a couple of long armed, long, you know, wingspan guys that hopefully can help uh, carry out Mike Hopkins zone defense a little bit more effectively this year.
1: You know, just one note to come back to the the Kepning point you asked, you know, uh, about Oregon. Uh, they do have a, a seven foot, a seven footer from Arkansas, a freshman who is a five-star recruit coming in next year, Kalel Ware, who's one of the most highly touted recruits in the Dana Altman era. So that would also seem to, you know, factor in is that. Uh, you bring in a five star, seven footer, the 6'11 guy that's there might be going, eh. yeah. Maybe maybe I don't stick around. <laughs> maybe there's a better opportunity right,
0: yeah. up, the, right up the road. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the NFL draft, Mark. So, going into the draft, I think everybody anticipated that uh, Kayvon Thibodeau was going to be the first player in the Pac 12. Selected in the NFL draft that played out just as we anticipated. He was selected number five overall to the New York Giants. Um, He'll take that uh, that big personality to the the media's biggest center. And I'm sure he'll thrive there. Uh, The second uh, Pac-12 player taken was uh, um, USC wide receiver, Drake London who, uh, although being injured, certainly was the most dominant offensive player in the Pac-12 last year, went healthy. And then uh, the Huskies really went on a run with their draft picks at the end of the first round and then into uh, rounds two, four, and five. So this is kind of the rundown on the Husky draft picks in this year's NFL draft. Uh, As expected, Trent McDuffie, Uh, Went in the first round, ended up at uh, Kansas City. Casey actually traded up to get him at 24. They were shocked that he was still available by that point. Gave up uh, the 29th pick, the 94th, and the 121st pick to the New New England Patriots uh, to get Trent McDuffie. Um, Kyler Gordon, also defensive back, went 39th overall to the Chicago Bears. Uh, Tumwater star, Cade Otten, tight end. Um, he looks like he's going to be slated to be the replacement for Gronk whenever he hangs up his cleats. He's going to Tampa Bay to play with the great Tom Brady, and uh, he'll be joining fellow Huskies, Joy Tri- uh, Joe Tryon, Vita Vea, Bedding Um, and I loved what, um, the the Tampa Bay director, uh, of player personnel said about Cade Otten, along with other Husky players. He said, they're our kind of guys. And (laughs) I just got a kick out of the fact that, uh, that even, even the NFL sees the Husky players as okay. as Chris Peterson once dubbed them. And then uh, a little bit surprisingly, Luke Wattenberg, was selected in the fifth round. Uh, he's an offensive lineman, a center, that went to the Denver Broncos to help uh, bat, help protect Russell Wilson. A lot of people thought that Wattenberg might be a seventh-round draft pick, so for him to go in the fifth was a bit of a pleasant surprise. Um, and then we ha- ended up having three additional guys sign with teams or at least get offers from teams uh, as undrafted free agents, cornerback Bookie Radley Hiles to the Cincinnati Bengals, our uh, everybody's uh, favorite punter Race Porter to the Seattle Seahawks, and uh, uh, outside linebacker uh, former walk-on Ryan Bowman also to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, so a, a good, uh, I would say, a very good showing from the Huskies in the NFL draft, especially coming off of an extremely disappointing year on the field.
1: Warren, I I am shocked and impressed at the restraint that you showed in going through that whole summary, because I feel like the big story here is that a four and eight Washington team put four guys in the NFL and a 10-win Oregon team that has supposedly been stacking top recruiting classes after top recruiting classes put one guy in the NFL. You know, that after Kayvon Thibodeau, nobody from the Oregon Ducks was drafted, and yet they were the team that had, they were the Pac-12 team with the most representatives at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Uh, but you just read through the names. Verone McKinley, undrafted. Mikhail Wright, undrafted. C.J. Verdell, undrafted Anthony Brown not no real surprise there. undrafted Devin Williams Johnny Johnson Jalen Redd George Moore all of these guys now all of them have have you know been invited to mini camps or signed as undrafted free agents or whatever but I mean this is your chance here Warren to tee off (laughs) because if I was a Husky fan I would be reveling in the idea that this this you know, recruiting machine that Mario Cristobal had been building over the last four years that in his final basically class uh, puts one guy in the NFL, granted the top five player for the third year in a row, but nobody after that, even, even in the first seven, even in the seven rounds of the NFL draft, incredible.
0: It, it is a It is, it's, it's stupefying and, you know, I haven't had the time to go back and research Where those guys were ranked as recruits, you might remember a little bit better. But, you know, with uh, with Kayvon Thibodeau, he came in as the number two overall recruit in all of college football in his class. So for him to go number five in this NFL draft, I wouldn't say it was a disappointment, but it certainly was on par with what his talent level was supposed to be coming in with this roster but coming in with that with that class but look at those other guys i mean i'm sure that 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 mckinley mikhail wright red some of those guys were four star guys top 100 guys and they got invites to the combine and honestly they had some of the worst combine numbers in all of the in all of the nfl i mean it was just atrocious some of the, the 40 times, the the jumps that they put in, the, the vertical leaps. And what makes matters worse to me, Mark, if I'm a, an Oregon fan, is that almost all those guys skip their bowl games <laughs> to, to prepare for the, the combine, yes. only to just completely fall flat on their faces and then get excluded from the NFL draft. I mean, that's got to be the worst way that that could play out if you're an Oregon fan.
1: It is, I mean, it's utterly mystifying on all levels. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, it'll be interesting if any of those guys catch on. Uh, but I, I saw this stat from, uh, Aaron Fentress, who's a writer for the Oregonian, uh, who pointed out that, that, uh, essentially Oregon kind of fired their, what he refers to as their legacy staff. In 2017, that was the the you know set of assistants that had been there for 30 plus years, under Rich Brooks and Mike Bellotti and Chip Kelly and Mark Helfrich. That they had this long tenured assistant group. They let them all go after the four and eight season, when which Mark Helfrich was fired. They completely bring in this new coaching staff that that is supposed to take recruiting to a different level, which they did in terms of the recruiting rankings. And he pointed out of the last 14 Oregon players drafted basically since that staff was fired, 10 of them were recruited by the fired staff. So there have actually only been four recruits from the Willie Taggart or Mario Cristobal era that have made it into the NFL. Now there could be a bunch more over the next few years. You know, the current roster of course is, is loaded with guys that Cristobal brought in and so we we shouldn't you know finish his legacy on that until all of those guys are able to to kind of go through the program and we see how many of them end up in the NFL draft. But uh, but if you're Oregon and you kind of take yourself seriously as one of the leading programs in the country, to only have one draft pick uh, is is pretty terrible. I mean the, the now now Texas the University of Texas had zero, so you could could be worse. Like it's you true. know. At least Oregon didn't screw up Kayvon Thibodeau. That's what you can say right now. Right. They didn't. They didn't totally torpedo uh, his career. But it's, it's pretty jaw dropping uh, to uh, to see all of those guys go undrafted when it when at least a couple of them were were projected to be drafted. You know, like in the upper half of the draft.
0: Yeah, and again, I mean, these were not uh, unheralded guys coming out of high school that, you know, overachieved but just don't have the physical gifts and tools to to make it in the NFL. These are guys that coming out of high school, a four-star ranking as a high school player means that you're projected to be drafted in the second through fourth rounds. Yeah. So to to have so few guys that were high-star guys that didn't deliver on that talent, is just uh you know ridiculous to me and, you know so just as kind of a a summary you UCLA surprisingly had six guys drafted in uh the the draft washington and arizona state had four usc had three which after the debacle that of a season they had that's not altogether surprising cal and washington state had two and then tied for uh, one was Oregon, Utah, Stanford, and Oregon State. And, you know, I, I'd have to look at the roster to kind of figure out what happened with Utah. Here you have a team that that wins the, the Pac-12 championship. Only have one team, one player drafted. Maybe they've got a lot of guys returning. And uh, there just wasn't a lot of uh, you know draft eligible guys. But certainly disappointing when you have six guys invited to the combine and yeah. only one actually gets drafted
1: yeah well it'll be an interesting uh interesting thing now to compare that to the current coaching staff where you know Dan Lanning is coming over from Georgia which had a record 15 players drafted several defensive players in the first round um you've got other guys on the coaching staff that uh, that have a history, you know, coaching in the NFL and and uh, developing talent in that way. And they've already been been hammering it on the recruiting cycle. That was a little bit of a question mark, you know, coming in. Is are are these guys going to maintain that momentum of the Cristobal era? And just recently, it was a four-star receiver, on Dickey, who committed to Oregon, uh, said it was a conversation with uh, DeAnthony Thomas. They ran into each other in the hotel lobby during his visit to the spring game and uh, ended up talking to De Anthony Thomas, and that kind of sealed the deal. Uh, so the, they're, they're continuing to bring in top talent. It'll be interesting to see over the next few years if this current coaching staff uh, does a better job of, of getting those guys ready for the NFL.
0: Well, Mark, as we wrap things up, uh, wanted to we've, we've been talking about this NIL thing for a while, and I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon, at least not until we get into real games and the season really begins to present itself. But uh, I wanted to give you and our Husky fans a little bit of an update on what I heard, what I learned on Saturday about the way that Washington is approaching the NIL. Montlake Futures had a little table set up and they were advertising a few different football camps and some an opportunity to go fishing with a husky football player they had some other husky athletes non-football players uh, out there doing some meet and greet type basketball shooting games and things like that but i did get an opportunity to talk to one of the uh, the montlake futures representatives and asked them i said so tell me a little bit about this program how is this working out and he said well you know for our current players It's an opportunity for them to make a little bit of money on their name, image, and likeness. Like, for instance, coming and interacting with fans of this game day experience, these student athletes are making some money from that. And I said, all right, lay it on me. I said, what is the biggest NIL deal that any player has gotten thus far? And he kind of looked both ways and said, well, I can't really tell you who, but there's at least one contract that's worth about six figures. I said, okay, that's, that's good to know. I said, you know, that's a current player. And he said, yeah, it's a current player. I said, okay. All right. Well, that's, that's good to hear. I said, what about, uh, prospective players, high school recruits or, uh, guys coming in through the transfer portal? And he got real serious. He said, we don't do that. We, we don't give money to, to guys that are not current husky players we don't set up NIL deals for those those guys and you know i looked at that and said okay well that that at least lets us know what is and is not on the table as husky coaches are talking to potential recruits talking to potential transfer portal guys on the field after the game I was chatting up with some of the players and I was talking to three guys. I won't name who three guys in the defensive backfield that could potentially be starters this year. Like they're, they're, they're not household names, but they're not scrubs either. These good, these guys could be potential starters this year. And I asked them, I said, tell me about the NIL. Are you guys seeing anything from that? And they kind of looked at each other and they were like, no, it's it's a non-factor. Hmm. So whatever that means, it, it's it's not something that you know, maybe a, a good player that may end up being a starter, uh, but is not a, a well-known superstar. They're not seeing anything from the NAL at the University of Washington at this time.
1: And what I would love to know. In response to those two pieces of information is how much are other schools doing on the side of of interacting with high schoolers because we're hearing things but it's all kind of rumors and I like I I don't know how much of it is just like rogue boosters that are kind of inserting themselves into the process you know like when Texas A&M comes out that, that like is that how much of that is being facilitated by the school, and how much of that is kind of, you know, kind of going rogue? And then, um, so so that's a really interesting point that I w- I would just love to know, like across the board, like in the Pac-12 of the other t- eleven schools in the Pac-12, how many of them would say the same thing of like, well, we're not really doing anything with with recruits? And then the second the second question is, I would love to know just kind of yeah on a basic level, the typical starter who's maybe not projected to be a top, top first round pick. Are they, are they seeing anything, you know?
0: I'll I'll give you one more piece of information about that in just a moment, but I'm going to welcome Mike Martin onto the show and we'll do a little handoff in just a moment. Well, Hey, Mike, we're, we're going to hand, we're going to um, make a transition to uh, you and I talking about the spring game, but we were just wrapping up one final conversation about the NIL, some information that I learned about the way that Montlake Futures is handling the NIL on Saturday. And, um, you know, what what the representative told me was that they are moving forward with with NIL deals for current players. The biggest contract that they've given out thus far or helped facilitate thus far is a six-figure contract for a current Husky player. I talked to a few players on the field, guys, that are potential starters, uh, but um, not well-known household names yet. They told me at this point, the NIL is a non-factor for them and most of their teammates. And then the the final piece <clears throat> that I was going to share with Mark before he logged off was, according to the representative for the, the, the Mon Lake Futures, washington is above the national average for nil deals at this point now what that means is that they're they're doing better than a lot of schools that have a lot less money than washington does what it also means is that the fact that he couldn't say we're in the top 10 percent of nil deals says that we're lagging way behind the upper echelon programs that are really seeing the NIL as an opportunity to to move their program forward from a a talent and player acquisition standpoint. I will
2: say, I I will add to that, uh, Warren, that what I have heard as is that they have an impressive war chest that is, um, is going to be the envy of
0: a lot of schools. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that. But uh, again, the, the current philosophy, as it has been told to me by Mon Lake Futures, is that they are not going to use the NIL to recruit guys that are not uh, on the team as it stands right now. So, uh, they're going to use it for current players, but they're not going to use it for transfer portal or for high school recruits. So, we'll see what that means in the, the long term, but this could become moot more than uh, sooner than rather than later. As um, there is an article that just got released earlier today saying that college leaders. Are gearing up to issue a warning to hundreds of uh, wealthy boosters who are using name, image, and likeness ventures to involve themselves in recruiting. So it looks like already the NCAA is taking some steps to try to correct some of the abuses that we all can assume are taking place in this this process.
2: I, I think it's I think it's inevitable that that is going to happen because it was happening before. Um, You you know, just now people thought they could be out in the open about it. So now it's going to go back into the McDonald's uh, or Starbucks cup, the McDonald's bag, the Wendy's bag outside somebody's front door or in their front seat. Uh, You know, this the thing that this did do was flush out who the big players were so maybe it's a little bit easier to monitor them
0: that's a good point although i will say it's easier to stick uh five thousand dollars in a cup than it is to stick uh three million dollars in a cup <laughs> so the, you know, the all, numbers all the guys, could go well, down
1: all of the, this is my will be my final uh parting shot on this comment but uh on this topic but I remember seeing a, an interview with Bobby Bowden and Michael Irvin, and they were talking about the Florida State-Miami rivalry, and Bobby Bowden talked about recruiting Michael Irvin as a, as a high schooler, and he said, Now, why couldn't we get you to come to Florida State? And Michael Irvin says, Oh, come on, you know the answer to that. You couldn't afford me. And the two of them cracked yeah. up laughing, and there was this knowing laugh of like Michael Irfan just spilled the beans about something that he probably yeah. shouldn't have, have said out loud, and and Bobby Bowden didn't laugh like you know oh yeah you guys did this terrible practice that I'm I'm aghast by it was more like yep we couldn't afford you <laughs> it was it was the funniest moment, yeah. and so I think you're right Mike that it that it is it's kind of it's putting out in the open some things that have been uh, kind of cloak and dagger and. It'll be interesting to see if if some sort of regulation can can at least bring some order and, and consistency to the whole thing. Yeah, I
0: love it. Well, hey, Mark, thank you for joining us. I know you've got some family obligations to take care of, but uh, great episode. We'll be back uh, with you next week to continue our uh, dog and duck show exploits. But thanks for joining us, Mark.
1: Absolutely. Enjoy your Enjoy your chat.
0: Warren Maynard from the Dog and Duck Show with Real Dogs, Mike Martin, and we are going to do a Husky Spring Preview Review. Mike, you were at the, the preview on Saturday. I was there as well. Um, first and foremost, what did you think about the environment that you saw uh, on Saturday from the game to the, the, the weather, the conditions, the, the fans? What was your overall take about just the environment that the 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 Huskies created for the spring preview?
2: Well, I, I shot a picture coming across 520 from Kirkland. And it was raining. You could hardly see Husky Stadium because of the clouds. And I am a quarter mile away from Husky Stadium, and you can hardly see it. And I was like, okay, this it was probably. Uh, I think about 9:40 at the time, and I was like, "Okay, well, that will kill off attendance because on a on a national championship season, the spring after there was 10,000 maybe, and it was very mundane, and it was an actual scrimmage. They actually punched each other in the mouth." okay, yeah. Steve Etman was drafted that day and I was walking around the track. They just announced that he'd been drafted and I high-fived him. And my, my hand still kind of hurts from the high-five. <laughs> but um, so it's never been like uh, an event that you have to go to on a Saturday in, in Seattle mm-hmm. uh, in the spring. It, it's, it's, there's more than one game in town Uh, You know, the thing that I did like was after the game, I'm up in the press box uh, filing a report and I look over and standing in the bleachers in the, uh, what is it? The East end zone all the way up at the top are people standing there watching the softball game and somebody jacked one and, you know, people are jumping up and down making some noise. And so I thought it was really cool that that they did that. You, so one of these days, maybe we'll get up to 10,000 uh, for, for it, but the, the weather just has always been a factor, even when the Huskies won a national championship and it was hot uh, that yeah. that day. There was just nobody there.
0: Yeah, I think the Huskies are going to have to make some some major changes and really go after it from a marketing standpoint in order to make the – the spring preview, something that is a, a fan, you know, favorite. I think they could do it though. And I think especially with the increased cost of uh, being able to go to games for regular families, if they could really market it as an opportunity for uh, the average, you know, Husky fan, maybe kids from lower uh, income housing and lower income environments to bring them out in large groups to the game, and have an opportunity to meet players and and build the, the fan base of the future. Uh, I, I would love to see the Huskies really take some, some additional steps towards that. This year, however, coming off of a four and eight season, uh, coming off of uh, a change of coaching and uh, certainly a, a forecast that was not too promising throughout most of the week, Um, not unexpected that it was a low attended game, but it turned out to be a, a beautiful day for some Husky football. Uh, they didn't do a full game because of some thin, um, you know, thin roster areas, especially with the running backs and the inside linebackers. Uh, but they did end up running about 80 plays, which I thought was made it a lot more fun. The way that they did the scoring, the offense claimed a thirty-four to twenty-nine victory over the defense, which um, really came at the very end of the game with a uh, touchdown, thirty-eight-yard touchdown pass from Michael Penix Jr. to Rome Adunze. Uh, that right. required a couple of broken tackles at the end of the game. In fact, it was kind of funny, Mike. Uh, the 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 stadium speaker came on and said just to let everybody know this is going to be the last drive of the day and, and the next play three seconds later they snapped the ball Rom was like done yeah the game was over and it was like okay all right i guess we're done uh um, yeah but yeah so just it was it was a fun event to be at mike i'd love to just kind of walk through some big takeaways with you and for me I mentioned that thirty eight yard uh you know reception from Rome a certainly one of the best plays of the game uh longata alexander the the longtime uh wide receiver for Sam Heward that transferred back from Arizona State this year. he had a couple of massive plays uh but i I honestly the found-
2: the thing about him is. I, I was like, oh, man, that can't happen. I don't know if you saw him hobble off. I did um, about see that, two minutes yeah. Earlier, and then he makes that one-hander, and I'm just like, okay, um, the dude's a player. He's not going to go over there and hang his head. He wants he wants this bad, and that was really good to see.
0: He does, and uh, I thought he was, in my opinion, the player of the game, and and honestly, for much of the, the spring preview, I found myself – uh, asking the guys around me, who is the guy that's gonna really be a superstar for this team? And the offense on on, you know, each offense started pretty slowly. There were a few uh, first downs here and there, but uh, often followed by a three and out. But uh, when the the dust settled, it it definitely seems like to me that the game changing stars on this team, begin with the wide receiver unit.
2: I, I, I don't have anything contrary to say to that. The thing that I like is how deep they are because Rome showed that he's 6'3", 205, And he's physical. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not going to take him down with a hit. You're not going to take him down with an arm tackle. Uh, he can outrun you. He can push you down. Saw him do both of those uh, a few different times throughout the day, um, th- that and then you have Jalen McMillan, who made a couple of spectacular uh, plays. And the, the, the way that they are adjusting to these throws, it starts with the receivers, yeah. to one degree, but it starts with a transformation of the delivery of the quarterbacks. And I noticed that throughout the entire spring is where they put the ball on a back shoulder throw where they do it on a screen, where they put it, where uh, it's a comebacker, the way that they – where they've put it has made it so much easier for these receivers. The receivers have gotten better about using their plant foot, their hips, Mm -hmm. throwing their hips into stuff, but um, it's it's all – it's not just the receivers. It's how the quarterbacks are delivering as well.
0: Yeah, so Rome Rome was quiet for for a good portion of the the spring preview. Came on at the end, ended up with four receptions for sixty three yards. McMillan and Polk both looked really good. Um, both had three catches for about fifty five yards. But the real story, as we have already mentioned, is the transfer wide receiver Longyata uh, Alexander, formerly known as Junior Alexander who had uh 90 yards uh for a touchdown plus the catch of the game about a 42-yard one-handed catch along the sideline what uh what do you expect to see from alexander is he kind of a a spring game wonder or do you think that he's going to really uh, make his way onto the field in this upcoming season well um
2: I I think that these guys are going to be very unselfish. We might be looking for a pecking order, but uh, I think that what we're going to see is um, they're going to find somebody with a hot hand. They're going to find ways to get guys into mismatches. They're going to find guys uh, like Giles Jackson get him the ball in space. And that makes everybody better. That makes the running backs better. So I don't think that, that I know, we're supposed to uh, say, Oh, he's the number one receiver. He's the number two receiver. And I've always wanted that, but I see so many guys that, that would be number one receivers on, on a lot of different teams around the conference. And, um, Jalen McMillan would start for anybody. Roma Dunze would start for anybody. Alexander would start for anybody. Uh, Polk would start for anybody. So all those guys are—they're physically what we're what we're seeing the Huskies go after, um, and you know, the, so they will find ways to spread the ball around. They will find ways to get mismatches, and it's going to be a witch's brew for the defenses.
0: You know, the last few years, it seems like it's been so hard for our wide receivers to get enough touches. I mean, we just, you know, it's been painful to watch this offense try to move the ball and uh, three and outs, drop catches, those types of things. But if you look at what Jake Hayner did last year at Fresno State, if you look at what Michael Penix uh, Jr. did with uh, Kalen DeBoer as his Uh, offensive coordinator at Indiana, it's not unreasonable to think that there are going to be a number of games this year where the Huskies go for 400, 500 yards in the air, four or five touchdown uh, throws throughout the, the games. So this could be a season where we see guys really blossom, find the hot hand, have multiple receivers over 100 yards, and, uh, and, and for that reason, I think absolutely guys like Laniata Alexander have a great opportunity to really uh, make a significant difference on this team. Just if we can get this offense rolling like DeBoer has been able to get it rolling in other places. You know, one guy that I hope will become a fan favorite, you've already mentioned him, is Giles Jackson. He's a guy that has a, a little bit of that. Um, you know, John Ross type of uh, ability to move and to to shift, change gears. Uh, I I hope that he gets used in such a way that anytime uh, people see him get the ball, they hold their breath.
2: Yeah. And and that's what I've been uh, expecting from uh, when Chico was here. He couldn't stay healthy. Um, One of my favorite players of all time what just how he would throw his bodies, his body at other bodies. And he was just so unafraid uh, of the contact. And what I, what I thought we were going to get out of Trey Lowe. Uh, he went yeah. to Oregon state where Jonathan Smith is, who knows how to use a guy like that. Yeah. Um, and, and he, he wasn't going to get used. Well, now you saw that, uh, that with Giles Jackson, he wasn't they weren't able to, use him correctly last year in the run the damn ball strategy um or can't run the damn ball strategy whatever you want to call it um
0: so run the damn ball right into the line of scrimmage
2: yeah run the ball right into the pile um so so you know i've been waiting for somebody to come in and be able to utilize uh him and the importance of Of how they are throwing the ball to these guys, it is so important for him in space when they can hit that back shoulder to him, when they can throw a comebacker to him, and somebody's coming up on them, and he he makes them grab air and he gets eight nine yards on third and seven. Okay, that's the thing that that the Huskies lack, where it was third and seven and, and you knew you could count on getting three yards on a, a rush right okay well some creativity and understanding of or being able to uh just really exploit defenses always expect that, okay this is the time that they're gonna look like they're gonna run and it's gonna be a pop pass to Devin Culp never happened
0: yeah yeah that's that's right well let's talk a little bit about the quarterbacks uh I think this is one of the most, you know, interesting and dynamic quarterback rooms that the Huskies have had in a long time. You've got the uh, the star transfer in Michael Penix Jr., who has the most familiarity with Kalen DeVore's system. You've got the returning starter in Dylan Morris. And then you've got the five-star legacy kid in Sam Heward how did you if how would you evaluate the quarterbacks this past saturday
2: i i, I wouldn't because <laughs> they uh they didn't throw anything um so some players i i uh, just saw them and and that i covered in recruiting and they came up and they talked to me and they're like yeah we didn't throw anything out there um but the thing that i i look at is um, is, is a couple of things. Um, are they looking defensive backs off defensive backs that know what the play call? Cause they've seen this play, each of those plays 85 times over the last four yeah. weeks. Okay. Can they look a guy that knows what's coming? Can they look that guy off? And find the open guy, and we saw Sam Hewer do it. Do that late. We saw Michael Penix do that late. So you know, I I see a completely different uh, delivery from the quarterbacks. The touch that um, that we saw, even out of Dylan Morris, there were a couple of throws that that you're like, okay, that would last year, that would have been batted down because. Uh, he was throwing it at the defensive back trying to muscle it past him uh, or it had been picked off. And we saw some throws where he just floated it over the linebacker or defensive back into the receiver, didn't have to muscle it. And the, the, what they have brought out of these quarterbacks returned them to who they were when they came to Washington two years ago, three years ago. Uh, that's what I wanted to see out of of the quarterbacks. So now it's going to come down to who can execute the playbook uh, that we are are not able to see, that we have not seen. That's the quarterback. And I'm going to leave that to Kalen DeBoer to figure out which guy can extend the plays, which guy can read the defenses, which guy can execute the playbook. That is who the decision is going to be. And it's really anybody's guess because – we saw each of those guys make some pretty good throws. We talk, They talked about the turnovers, um, how all the quarterbacks did a really good job throughout the spring of not turning the ball over. Mm-hmm. Penix had a guy slip. He had um, one where the receiver, I thought should have climbed the ladder to get it and yeah. kind of gave up on it. So those, they, they, they show up as two interceptions. Uh, but I, I, I don't know that in a game that you're going to have a a receiver that is going to not climb the ladder after that ball. And you're going to hope that, that the other guy doesn't fall down. So.
0: Yeah. So Penix, Penix had 200 yards uh, passing 13 of 18, a touchdown, the two interceptions you mentioned, I would say one of those uh, was on Devin Culp. You know, he was the one that, that uh, had a pass over his head but certainly the ball went through his hands and then it went into the hands of uh, Michelle uh, Powell and the other one, probably a bad throw on Pennix's part, but uh, out of the quarterbacks to me, uh, Pennix most clearly looked like he was the, the game ready quarterback. I will be shocked if he doesn't earn the starting nod in the fall he seems like he's the most confident, and really just he looks the most physically prepared for the role. Uh, Heward, uh, we know how gifted he is. We know about his heritage. We know about his arm. He still looks like a young man. He he doesn't he doesn't look like he's fully grown into that adult body yet. Uh, but he had his best day on Saturday um throwing for about 160 yards a touchdown had another sure touchdown go through the hands of uh walk on uh geron and um you know could have easily made that two two touchdowns led two touchdown drives um and then morris probably
2: He uh, he actually led three scoring drives
0: three scoring drives two touchdowns one field goal that's correct um and then morris you know, he was three for 12, only 53 yards. Uh, some of those, those passes were, were drops. There were a few dump offs to the running backs that he just came up short. And, uh, there was, there was another pass that went right into the arms of the defender and it just bounced right off the numbers, the defender and, and, uh, spared Morris from getting an interception. But Mike, I've got a question for you. And, and, you know, I would love to just hear your thoughts on this because one of the unique things about this this quarterback room is if we can if we can kind of move forward with the assumption that Penix is most likely going to be the starter at the beginning of the year, um, his two backups are Heward and Morris, and what is interesting to me about this is that you've got in Penix you've got a left-handed starting quarterback. And then two backups, Morris who's right-handed, Heward, who is also left-handed. And I wonder, is there any advantage to making Heward the uh first guy off the bench with uh coming behind Penix, knowing that the the blocking and the, the schemes are already geared towards a left-handed quarterback?
2: Yeah, i I've, I've... Throwing that one around in my head because Morris has a lot of games under his belt. Um, Heward has one. So, you know, the game experience, uh, you know, Pettis goes down against um, Portland state. Well, Michigan state is the next week. And who do you have? Uh, Who's, who's the next guy and the rotation on the ball for a receiver you know, on the where it doesn't matter is on some of the deep throws because the rotation is the rotation. But it's a lot of those those underneath throws where the ball's coming out differently. You're seeing it differently. Um, the the mechanically, it's the the ball has a completely different type of rotation. And where you put your hand on the ball for a, a left-handed guy versus a right-handed guy it makes a lot of difference. And it's a lot of those short underneath throws. So I, I don't know that it really changes your playbook a whole lot, but it does change if you call some of those underneath throws.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Well, it'll be, it'll be uh, interesting to, to monitor if, if Hewitt and Morris are really uh, battling it out in the fall, what takes greater precedence for that backup position? Is it being able to keep all of those blocking and and running play schemes uh, the same, or is it having the 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 starting experience of Morris, albeit some of that starting experience not really being all that uh, positive of a sign? Uh, but let's let's keep talking. So so Mike, the the running back room which at one time was just stacked uh has become very thin especially due to injury over uh, the last couple months so on uh on saturday the only eligible healthy running backs available were uh, J.V. on sunday and new mexico transfer aaron dumas both of those guys looked decent They weren't able to really get anything going in the running game, Uh, but uh, we know that there's some help on the way. Will Nixon from Nebraska, who's kind of a hybrid running back wide receiver. Uh, Wayne Tawala Papa from Virginia, uh, also a smaller shiftier back. Newton and Cam Davis will be back by the fall. Uh, Caleb Berry is transferring out, but... Do, did you see the, the 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 struggles with the running game? Was that more of a sign of uh, this this offense, or was the defense just really able to stack up and stop those guys?
2: Well, part of that is um, a dude named uh, um, Umalu... Umalu uh, Ale. I've known him as MJ Ale.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: the, exactly- that dude... Yeah, he is uh, jamming up a lot of plays. He's, he's very mobile. He has a, a rugby background, so to have that guy in the middle, some players said that he is—he's not as um, what's the right word? He's—he's he's not refined, gifted, refined. Thank you. He's not as refined as um, as Vitavea, but occupying spaces occupying blockers Mm -hmm. making everybody else's job easier that's what he does so well so you know i think that the struggles in the run game were really a a salute to the remade defensive front that you got a guy that lets everybody else do the things that they're really good at you saw ZTF getting after the quarterback. You saw yes. Martin getting after the quarterbacks, uh, the smalls. You know, th- there were a lot of guys that, you know, that that edge rush game is really starting to feel having a guy that can dominate inside uh, KY Um, uh, What's his name from East in Salt Lake City?
0: Uh, boy T'Nufi. T'Nufi,
2: yeah, boy, Tanufe. Tunufi, yeah. Uh, the but the one thing that I think I like best is is how these guys they're very chirpy. They might get knocked down a little bit, but they're going to come back swinging every single time. They don't back down, and you, if you're going to run at them, uh, they're going to do their best uh, to to stop everything. I, I really like how they have remade that where, where guys with the size can do certain things and guys with speed can do certain things. So I really like how they've, uh, the reconstruct of that defensive front.
0: I agree. And I think that the, the bend but don't break defense uh, served a purpose for uh, you know several years for the Huskies, helping us stay in games, helping us uh, stop the spread offenses like the Cougars and and other teams like that. But I'm really excited to see uh, what this new Husky defense can do with a a, a more attacking style, getting after the quarterback, forcing turnovers, forcing sacks, and I think with ZTF healthy again, uh, Jeremiah Martin back for his last year, uh Braylon Trice coming into his own Savelle Smalls this is this is the time that these guys really need to take over this defense and uh you know I just wonder uh as you as you look at those guys I think we can presume that ZTF is going to hold down one edge who do you kind of see as your leading candidate to take that other side uh my brother Jeremiah Martin
2: I was waiting oh, of course. Up. I was waiting for you to pick up on that, Jeremiah Stop. Martin. Um, uh, he he is really, it was if there was one name that showed up in just about every single practice report, it was Jeremiah Martin uh, yeah. on the defensive side. Um, did he edge past ZTF? I'm not going to say that, but what I am going to say is, uh, Jeremiah will benefit as much from ZTF as ZTF will benefit from Jeremiah Uh, there that you need where, where they don't know where it's going to come from, which guy's going to drop back into coverage. Well, who's going to do what uh, and then throw in the Husky position as well. So, you know, the, the way that they can mix things up uh, I, I really like, uh, what we saw out of out of those guys and the next wave, they could. we used to talk about hockey subbing the defensive front, but you can hockey sub a, a lot of those edge rushers and, and mm-hmm. you know, find out who has the, the best move that they can't counter uh, as an offensive tackle. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they they construct that pass rush
0: game as well. Mike, what do you think the the story is with Savelle Smalls? Is he is he going to break out? Is he going to become the star that we all anticipated him to be? He's going to be fine. Um, you
2: know he uh, he got a five star uh, rating, but threw that out the window when you get to college. And, you know, give the guy a chance to, to develop. He's gone through uh, a couple of defensive coordinators. The guy that brought him here is gone. Uh, This is going to be his third defensive coordinator in three years. So he has to learn different terminology, different schemes. um, You know, so it's give, give the kid time. He's just a kid.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Husky Nation is certainly looking forward to seeing him fulfill that great potential that he brought in. And, you know, he's a hometown hero, and I think the, the hometown is always looking for opportunities to cheer on those local local heroes. So we look forward to seeing that. Hey, Mike, as we kind of wrap things up, I uh, want to talk about the defensive backfield for just a few minutes you know, this has been the bread and butter for Husky football since Chris Peterson arrived. And really before that, Husky has, Husky football has been known for some of the best defensive backs in the country. And uh, that hasn't changed with Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon, as well as uh, uh, bookie Bradley, Ra- uh, uh, Bradley Hiles joining uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. So now we've got a defensive backfield that um, has a lot of guys that that many husky fans may not be familiar with. But it certainly seems like to me that going into the fall, this is uh, Michelle Powell's defensive backfield now. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, but I want to I, I, I want to point out something that uh, Washington defensive lineman, have more Super Bowl rings than the defensive backs that have gone into the NFL.
0: That is quite impressive. I, I know Danny Shelton, Vita Vea. Uh, did uh, Greg Gaines? Did Elijah? Did Elijah Qualls get Elijah one? Elijah Qualls. Yep. So those guys have certainly been successful. Greg Gaines turned out has turned out to be a fantastic complement to Aaron Donald. Vita Veya is just a room wrecker wherever he goes. And uh, Danny Shelton has had a really nice career as well. Um, but they have also been very fortunate to be on some great Super Bowl contending teams.
2: right. And so the but those defensive backs, uh, a lot of what they have done has been enabled by that defensive front to get after the quarterback to move the pocket to make it so that they can uh, st- if they're sticky in coverage um, you know the longer the quarterback holds on the ball the the better it's been for the defensive backs so I, I, as much as i want to talk about dbu the the defensive line has really done a great job of making the job easier for those defensive backs. I'm not slighting them at all, but I just want to keep it in perspective that the Huskies have been outstanding uh, on defense at a lot of positions for a very long time now.
0: That's a great point. And I think uh, a large reason why the Husky defense took a big step backward the last couple years has been because we haven't had that Vita Vea, Greg Gaines, Elijah Qualls, Danny Shelton kind of guy to really dominate and to become a penetrating force in the center of that field.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it's sort of like someone asked, um, I don't know if it was Dave Hoffman or Steve Entman, the question, how would um, how would they handle the the oregon spread teams that were putting up all those points and they said a three and out is still a three and out okay you know the we have if you have those guys up front that can put you in uh third and long you know it really makes those defensive backs a whole lot better when they know a pass is coming on third down so you know the the defensive backs have just been fantastic um and you, you said Misha Powell, but there are some some uh, some other guys that, that are young Spears uh, uh, McCutcheon. I mean, you you could just go on, and you can take one off the list, Jacoby Covington. But yeah. there there are there's still Julius Irvin, who, who wants to hurt somebody every single time. I like seeing him being there. A six three. Uh, 214 Enforcer Asa Turner. Uh, These are guys that have played a lot of ball that know how to hit, like to hit. So
0: yeah, our our safety room has more experience than than at any time I can remember. I mean, between Asa Turner, Julius Irvin, Cam Williams, Alex Cook, those four guys have really been the starters for the last three years. And uh, they're all coming back. They're all healthy. They're going to be competing against one another. But there's not going to be any drop-off whatsoever if one guy steps out or steps off the field in that safety room. The defensive backfield is a little bit more vulnerable. Mish Powell, of course, earned a starting job uh, alongside of the the stalwarts. But uh, you mentioned... Uh, McCutcheon, you mentioned uh, Spears. Uh, of course, Jacoby Covington's out. Transfer Jordan Perryman has been making a lot of noise and maybe uh, a leading candidate for that um, alternate uh, position. And then a guy that uh, Jimmy Lake raved about last year was uh, Elijah Jackson, and I'm I'm interested to see he was he was not healthy for the spring preview uh, on Saturday, but I'm interested to see what he can do with a healthy fall.
2: Yeah, and Michaela's um, team as well, those are high school teammates. So there, there's a lot of bodies that they can throw. And, you know, we, we've, we've had guys that were clear and absolute freaks and studs back there, of uh, McDuffie, mm-hmm. Uh, bookie and Gordon, but there are some guys that are just as solid. Now, the thing that, that people may not like, and they may view it as a step back for the defense where uh, the offense is putting up now uh, 40, 45 points. That's going to expose your defense to a lot more plays and scoring per drive is actually going to be a very notable um, uh, stat to keep track of this year as, as compared to previous years, because that really is the the true factor of your defense. The, the Washington would sit on the ball a lot, and uh, offensively, and didn't try to score in in under two minutes because you just you, then you have to put your defense out there, and they tried to have a balance of the time of possession. So I just want people to understand that uh, you may see a step back statistically of the bottom line of how many points they give up but I don't know that it's actually going to be a step back defensively because there's still going to be uh, guys it's just going to be an offensive strategy that kind of
0: uh, exposes them a little bit more if you will absolutely there's one thing that I really want to see this year Mike and I'm sure you will appreciate this but I would really love to see one of those defensive backfield uh, studs really become the enforcer that opposing wide receivers are afraid to get anywhere near. I think about Jojo McIntosh when he laid the lumber on uh, the Oregon running back. Was it it Royce Freeman? I can't remember, but... um, just crushed him in that 70 to 21 game that really ended up uh, i think in many ways setting the the you know the temperature for that entire game i want to see a guy and i think Mish Powell may be the guy for that that just is that bone crushing monster in the defensive backfield that guys don't want anything to do with
2: and and Asa Turner that guy uh his problem has been a shoulder but yeah and and uh, I know Tyson Alamba he's going to hate me for calling him Jojo Smackintosh but <laughs> there was there was the Bash Brothers there was Zeke Turner and Jojo Mackintosh yeah. and those guys gave those Cougar receivers some alligator arms in the Apple Cup and that's what I really want to see like you're saying is is guys that they're 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 trying to figure out where they're going to hit get hit from from one of those guys
0: absolutely absolutely well hey this has been great mike do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up this spring preview review
2: yeah um for probably known you for three years now and i have always thought your last name was maynard not maynard (laughs)
0: yes that's a common misconception but no worries so Uh, yeah think about think about Maine and then Ard so it's not Maynard it's Maynard
2: yeah I was just when you you said I'm Warren Maynard I was like no you're not you're Warren Maynard
0: (laughs) yeah I've had people correct me on my own name before so that's not (laughs) not a surprise they're like you're Um, saying your name wrong
2: yeah, well, the 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 thing that um, the the Huskies have sent a couple of guys into the transfer portal. It's going to be interesting to see what happens and who they bring in, because there may be a very big name um, that the Huskies can get really really juiced about.
0: Is this is this a guy that fills a position?
2: I, I'm not going to say anything other than. What I said, I'm not good. I cannot say anything.
0: Sure, sure. Well, Husky fans will be on pins and needles waiting to see what comes together with that. Um, And uh, by the way, I did go back and confirm. My memory was correct. The hit that Jojo McIntosh laid on Royce Freeman resulted in a fumble um, in that uh, 2016 game at Austin stadium that we all know and love uh but yeah i i i think losing is that
2: the first was it no that was Buda Baker on that that uh missed pass in the 70 to 21 game um i'm just trying to
0: yeah so Buddha uh picked off a pass that was meant for charles nelson to start off the game that's what and it was. uh you know i think we knew that it was going to be a good game after that but to me, the backbreaker was that JoJo McIntosh hit on Royce Freeman. I think that that truly broke their will after that hit.
2: Yeah. And but then also JoJo Mathis with um, I think it was Royce Freeman as well, where is trying they threw a little uh screen, and here's a guy 6'3, 265, that perfect discipline doesn't let the guy get out and gets him for like a, 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 like a, I think a four or five yard loss. that was a game that, that I just, that the Huskies, they had circled that one. And I will tell you one thing that I remember, and this, uh, this is will forever be one of my favorite Husky moments was for us in the press. They put us in this crappy little tent um it's it's if you i don't know if you ever ever been to one of those revivals that would that they had for church in the 70s little tent um and there's hardly any room to maneuver a gust of wind and you feel like the thing's getting carried away that's the type of tent that they had us in right next to us was the huskies locker room and somebody walked in to the locker room and just you could hear the locker room echoing. Say who? Say what? Yeah. And it was loud, and it filled the night air, and it was uh, it was like a choir of angels singing. It was just one of the coolest things. I I caught a little bit of it uh, yeah. just when the door was open, but it was it was just really cool from that game that we're talking about. Hymn
0: number seventy twenty one yeah <laughs> and turn in your hymnals amen amen well go. let's hope that uh the return to Austin this year can bring uh some new angelic choirs to the to the uh conversation but hey mark mike this has been great thank Did you, you just so call much. me mark mike uh you know it was, that you was the, just call me mark mike that that was my uh mr maynard yes thank you very much that that was my freudian slip for the day but uh, I was actually looking at, uh, Mish Powell's name as I said that. So it's a good thing. I didn't call you Mish, but, um, Hey, it's been good. Uh, so excited to have you uh, as a part uh, of this podcast on a more regular basis. And, uh, maybe just give us, Hey, give us like a one or two minute update on what has, uh, what it's been like taking over real dog.
2: You know, um, I did you see the clip of Royce Cleland where I was interviewing him and he talked about his dad have you seen it yet. yet not yet it, it's hilarious I you know the thing that that uh, about doing this is I had somebody thinking they were insulting me saying you're not a journalist and i'm not a journalist i don't ever want to be a journalist i want to be a storyteller i want to tell these kids stories because every single one of these kids has dedicated their life to doing what they do that we have the privilege of being entertained by them okay and to understand who these kids are is is really what what is so fun for me Um, You'll find uh, the the clip from the interview last night, and it's just absolutely hilarious. And it's moments like that that I'm just like, this is the dream. I, I want to tell these kids stories, and it's it's truly an honor. And and you know, I just I can't wait to really get this thing steamrolling.
0: Well, I think we're all ready, and we hope that uh, we're just following down the smooth steamrolled path. That Kalen DeBoer is laying down. So let's keep it going. Uh, But for all of my Husky fans out there, along with my friend Mike Martin, go dogs.
2: Go dogs.